Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 56 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, disgusting filmmaker and master toy maker. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us tonight, returning tonight, you may know him from such films as Beyond the Gates, Dementia Part 2, he's a writer-director of Sequence Break, he's just finished up on VFW, also currently starring in Bliss and the founder of Rated R Speakeasy, it's Mr. Graham Skipper. Graham, hey. hello. Hey, hello. <laughs> the triumphant return. Yes, indeed. Yes, yes. And a film that couldn't be any further removed from the village. I know. I w- it was funny. I was watching it this morning and I was going, man, we, we went real classy with the village and now we're going decidedly not classy. Yeah, I think the, the, the village, um, uh, can you believe it's been a year, by the way? Yeah. I geez. know. That's, in- that's insane. I am choosing not to believe it. Uh, you have... <laughs> Obviously put me in some kind of a time vortex and your witches. Okay, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. Um, but yeah, like you say, The Village back in episode seven. Uh, yeah, we went pretty academic on that one. Pretty serious faced. Yeah, not much room to do that with Hellraiser Bloodline. <laughs> no. <laughs> so why this film? Because genuinely, when I asked you if you wanted to come back, before I'd even asked you what film you wanted to do, like it was the most obvious thing in the world, you replied saying, so we're doing Hellraiser Bloodline, right? <laughs> yeah um yeah you know i've always been obsessed with this movie full disclosure this is the first hellraiser film i ever saw i rented it uh you know from my local blockbuster when i was gosh when did this come out 96 so i was 13 i guess and i i had heard of hellraiser i'd heard of pinhead and i saw this one was out and it looked awesome and so i rented it and i was just obsessed with it i loved it it was so cool and weird and the monsters were uh, unlike anything I'd ever seen before, and Pinhead like totally delivered on on my sort of uh, imagined you know promise of what Pinhead could be. So I really like it, but you know everybody talks about Hellraiser one, two, and three, but they never talk about this. And for me, this is absolutely. Uh, I've always thought this one was better than three. It's it's not as good as one or two, but I mean those are great movies, you know. But I, I feel like with Bloodline, people don't really include it as a good Hellraiser movie. People sort of automatically dismiss it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've heard from a lot of people when I posted about this saying, oh, you know, I've never seen any of them past part three. And I think that's a real tragedy. Um, so yeah, I wanted to talk about Bloodline. I think it's the, uh, you know, the third best of the Hellraiser movies. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's uh, a really cool mythology. And anytime that a beloved character goes into space, I am all in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I have to agree with that. I I really like this film. I've always really liked this film. I don't know if it's necessarily aged that well, and there's just that part of me that's always really longing for like a fuller version of it, because certainly the version that we watched there, Mitch, I don't believe there's many other versions available, but it feels so weirdly cobbled together there seems to be an awful lot missing and i know the original edit that was turned in was somewhere in the region of 110 minutes yeah yeah i I read that too it's uh i I guess there was a a, quite a 
a, a quite an intense sort of behind the scenes story of this. And I've had a few people reach out and say that, that, uh, oh, you, you know, you've got to watch the work print, uh, which I guess is a different cut that's yeah. out there. Yeah. And, and so I read a little bit about that too, but it's, and, and maybe that's part of kind of why I love this movie is sort of the behind the scenes story of it. It's just so sort of, uh, it's an interesting glimpse into how studio movies get put together and is kind of a worst case scenario story of, uh, you know, what happens when too many hands, you know, get into the cookie jar, as it were. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, uh, Graham, you have brought us our fir- um, a first to the show, and it's our first Alan Smithy. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, fantastic. Okay. I believe. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of always a little bit fascinated by things that are kind of, uh, air quotes, troubled productions, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, me, me too. I mean, especially with something like, like an Alan Smithy movie, you know, and, and I guess for those who, who don't know, you know, obviously Alan Smithy, uh, is a pseudonym that's used by directors that want to disown a project. Um, and so I always find those really interesting because I'm going, my gosh, you know, like what has to happen to a movie for a director to so dislike it that they want to remove their name from it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And and I watched this and I, I was trying to read, you know, read up on why, because Kevin Yeager was the original director. And yeah, I was trying to yeah. read on, you know, exactly, you know, what his reasons were. And it just seemed like, you know, at the end, he just was like, you know what? They're trying to change it too much from what I wanted to do. I don't even know what this movie is anymore. I just want to take my name off of it. Yeah. Because it's so interesting to me to think of like, you know, how what what was it before? You know, mm-hmm. what what would it have been? Yeah. Like how, how far away from your original vision for it is it that it got so bad that you wanted to disassociate yourself with it to that extent kind of thing? Yeah. yeah I mean, there's so many names involved in this. Obviously, Kevin Yeager, I guess, was the first guy that, or well, I know Stuart Gordon was approached. To, yeah, apparently he was it. approached. You know, it's funny, I read that, I, maybe it was on Wikipedia or something, that little blurb about him and that he, he ended up not uh, not doing it because of, of artistic, you know, differences. <laughs> and I can, and, and knowing Stuart yeah. personally, I can 100% see that, <laughs> see that <laughs> as being the case of them going like, what are you talking about? No, we need to do Panetta's as this, this, and this, you know, and, and uh, so I can see why, why he wouldn't have been attached to this. Uh, that, that would have been Probably a very different film, and then Joe Chappelle, who, what is the? Uh, it's totally Halloween Part right Six. Uh, Thank the you. Yes. Michael Myers, which we've done on the yes. show, Mitch, with Matt Mercer. Yeah, that was Matt's. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which I actually quite like as well. Yeah, I don't have a massive problem with it. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think we came out pretty unanimously on Halloween Part Six being okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, death cults. What can go wrong? Exactly, <laughs> as the old saying goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just for a timeline of events then so at the end of Hellraiser 3 Pinhead is returned to the box as he pretty much is every single time and right <laughs> this film you don't really need to worry about anything that's come before necessarily Mitch because I know you were concerned coming into this that you'd only seen the first one yes that's true full disclosure and also yeah my first watch on Hellraiser 4 concluded 10 minutes ago <laughs> oh fantastic okay good so you're fresh yeah yeah, yeah fresh so they got all these kind of full, uh, half-formed reactions so, so wait a minute so head. wait a minute you've only seen the first one and the fourth one yes that is fascinating wow <laughs> uh, wow yeah okay. that, um, that was actually a timeline of my hellraiser viewing by the way i, I saw hellraiser and then i saw this interesting interesting so, so yeah we've, all, we've was... all seen these in a weird order then yeah you know and i feel like this is a series that sort of uh it's kind of okay to do that. I feel like you need to see part two after you see part one. Yeah. But what's interesting about, you know, especially with, with Bloodline, like the mythology of the Cenobites is so weird and you don't really learn that much about them in any single movie mm-hmm. that I feel like you can kind of watch these out of order and it's kind of okay. 
you know, like it's not it's not like there's I mean, I guess theoretically you and I'm a big Hellraiser nerd, which I'm about to show. But you, I guess you should <laughs> Hellraiser Hellseeker, which is the sixth movie, I believe. Yeah, um, you do kind of need to see the first two in order to get that one. OK, because um, because Kirsty comes back. Right. Okay. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just I love the series. This and and you know it's funny. After I watched Bloodline, I immediately turned on Scott Derrickson's uh, Hellraiser Inferno, which is the follow up to this, yeah. uh, which I also quite like. But it just kind of reminded me. I, I guess it was last year or two years ago, whenever the most recent one came out, uh, Hellraiser Judgment. <laughs> I I I went back through all of them and watched them all again. Wow. And this series is just so fucking weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it so much. It's but, but... bonkers. The, the whole series is bonkers. And I think it gets more and more bonkers the, the less and less interested the people involved in it feel. Yeah, well, and, and they, uh, you know, what's interesting about Bloodline, too, is that this is the last Hellraiser script that was actually written as a Hellraiser script. Yeah. You know, all the other ones were just other scripts that they sort of shoehorned Pinhead into, which, which again, I find interesting. You know, it's just sort of an interesting thing. Yeah. But but I, I, I think it... it oddly reflects positively on this franchise that you know at the heart of it is is human drama uh it's not so much about the demons it's about the people you know and the, the first one is all about you know adultery and you know this this sort of like sexual uh violence and and you know distrust in a marriage and all that stuff uh you know the the second one leans really heavily into the mythology you know but is ultimately about this psychiatrist that is is uh that has gone you know insane yeah. uh the, the third one the third one i've never really liked all that much to try to hurt, turn pinhead into freddy krueger and they stick him in a column mm. for the whole movie <laughs> um literally, literally he's like got quippy one-liners and he's in a column right um you know but then but then you know with this one what i love is that we're following uh you know these these human characters throughout time you know their ancestors or whatever mm. you know but but at the heart of this is like yeah it's it's got this sort of you know these sort of like you know dueling demons i guess you know of angelique and and pinhead but more than that you know it's about like merchant you know cheating on his wife and what does that mean and what does that imply and how does that like you know destroy his life Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of rambling a little bit, but I guess what I'm getting at is that I guess what I'm getting at is that what I think is cool about this whole franchise is that even as these scripts get weirder and weirder and they stray further and further from like an actual Hellraiser, you know, specific plot, mm-hmm. it still remains about the the people and about these these like disgusting people and their horrible lives. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so weird and cool and like different than you know, watching an, another Friday the 13th movie where it's just Jason killing people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's interesting and different. Graham, before we jump into the actual plot beats of this thing, I don't know how much listening to this you've done since the last time you were on, because I think that the last time you were on was so early, we maybe hadn't started doing this. But um, okay. <laughs> what we do uh, with everyone that comes on... We had. We had, okay. Do you remember... Oh, the... is this the, like, 30-second thing? <laughs> the 30-second synopsis, yeah. Um, so... Um, I'm going to be very interested to see how you do this, given that this story spans three centuries. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. But, I'm ready. But I'm ready. I, okay. I'm going to count you in. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So the uh, descendant of Le Marchand, who first created the puzzle box um, that brings the Cenobites into this world, uh, is now uh, in the far future in space. He's building a giant one. 
to try and forever enclose Pinhead and the Cenobites. Um, and we follow his story and his ancestor's story throughout time as we see Pinhead go and fuck shit up and battle with an, uh, a dueling uh, or, or uh, an, an, an opposing demonic force named Angelique that wants to destroy Pinhead and make hell time. Uh, a chaotic place again. Very good. That was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So close. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, that was you know, splitting hairs there, Graham. That was pretty close. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it slide. I'm, I'm happy with thirty-two. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Graham, as um, as you said, um, our story begins in the year twenty-one twenty-seven aboard the space station Milos. Minos. Minos, yeah. Forgive me. Yeah. Minos, yeah. Uh, so, Dr. Merchant. Yeah. Interesting um, Yeah, Dr. Merchant uh, has has built a space station, which I kind of love the idea that, you know, in the in the future, like, you can just build a space station, you know, no problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dr. Merchant uh, has built a, a space station, uh, which is really a giant version of the limit configuration based on his ancestors' designs for the puzzle box. And he uh, is, it, we, we when we open it, he is through using a robot trying to open the puzzle box and summon the Cenobites. Um, yeah, which, which, he, which he succeeds in doing. <laughs> which he succeeds in doing. Yeah, he, he does it right away. Uh, yeah, um, he's using what appears to be a cross between a cheap Terminator and the medical droid thing from Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yes, yeah, completely. Yeah, And, and uh, what I love is is when the, the Cenobites are, you know, summoned, um, instead of hooks coming out, the, the robot just sort of tilts its head like a dog and goes... <laughs> and then it's blown to smithereens pretty pretty unceremoniously uh blown to pieces yeah the, the robot i love that the robot had at least enough awareness to go ah oh, shit <laughs> he was only two, um, he was only two days from retirement i know i know that poor guy um it was actually uh, only yeah so 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 cenobites are summoned but of course right away uh, merchant is uh, knocked out by some marines, I guess. Uh, uh, that yeah. Have, like, do we know who they are? I, I'm not even sure that I, I exactly follow who they are or why they don't want him to be doing what he's doing. I don't think it's entirely explained. I think, that, <laughs> and by entirely explained, I, I'm not convinced it's explained at all. Um, I, th- yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you see him kind of manipulating the android at the start, and you get this kind of um, over the kind of tannoy. You get this kind of announcement that he's getting that his ship's getting boarded. Yeah, yeah, and and they're mad at him and don't want him <laughs> to do this. Uh, but we don't really know why. And and perhaps in in a different script we we understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But but I guess the bottom line is you know she's going well. What the hell are you doing? And he says there are demons on this ship. And she says I don't believe you. And so he says well let me tell you a story. And. <laughs> Yeah, and then that's our movie. Um, yeah, bags of time to tell the story uh, when really time is of the essence here. Yeah, time is really. I mean, there. I mean, he knows that. That's what's funny to me is that you know that we know that demons have appeared. You know, and he goes, "Well, let me go back to the very beginning." <laughs> let me talk to you for an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must have been a long time. I was um, I was absolutely thrilled when I realized that um, a nostalgic storytelling session aboard a spaceship was going to be the framing device for this. For the, for the first two acts, at least. So it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh yes. <laughs> I've just got that group of guys written as space cops. And I, I have hypothesized that he has got rid of all, all his crew, have ditched them there. And I just kind of thought, well, maybe they're coming to just check on him because he's kind of up there on his own, I guess, like Sam Neill and okay, Event Horizon sure. floating around like mad as a hat. Sure, I'd buy that. You know, he's sort of like, oh, the cuckoo space doctor is up there doing his thing, you know. <laughs> 
oh, we better take him in for his own good, that sort of thing. By the way, yeah. what, one of those guys, one of those mercenary guys has a gun that is preposterously long. <laughs> it is in the vicinity of six foot long. Yeah, it's like a fishing, it's like a fishing rod. <laughs> I, I love, too, the other mercenary that has the gun that apparently takes, like, when he pulls it out of his holster, it takes, like, a good 30 seconds to heat up before firing. <laughs> it's, it's like, this is a horrible space gun. Yeah, that is completely ineffectual. Yeah. But, yeah, we don't have we don't have too long to dwell on the mechanics of space firearms because we're whisked away to uh, 19th century France. Sure. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah, we're we're immediately off to France with uh, Le Marchand himself creating the puzzle box as a, uh, I guess, a commission from some weirdo French aristocrat who uh, wants to use it for purposes of summoning a demon. Um. And I gotta, I gotta say, I fucking love the demon summoning scene. Oh, I think I think it's superb. I mean, it's pretty. Let, let's be honest, it's pretty labelled, and it's nice to see that the process has been streamlined. Kind of in, in future, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, that one time <laughs> takes quite a long time, and that's fine. After this point, it moves along at quite a clip. Yeah, I agree that the demon summoning scene is great. I'm going to raise you that I love almost everything about this entire act, this entire section. Okay. Like, see, um, the interactions with uh, when Marshong's kind of building the uh, the box and um, the exchange that he has with his wife is so spectacularly <laughs> over the top. And every it's all kind of like uh, like long hair and plunging necklines and all this kind of like... Powdered wigs. And, yeah, and powdered wigs and everything. It's so kind of like... it's such a kind of nudge wink over the top thing it really really appealed to me well it's that's it's great for that reason and i just love the fact that she's so quick to just shit all over his work that's like, <laughs> very funny like he's he's obviously worked really hard on this thing and she immediately is like oh well this is kind of stupid yeah she says is it wonderful and he said yes it's wonderful and uh yeah she's hilariously dismissive because you just it just kind of it does its thing and then she's like oh i see it does nothing it's like fuck <laughs> you <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's no pre- wonder he wants to leave. Come on. That's pretty much what he says to him. He's like, I've spent months building this fucking thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. He, he just kind of goes away. But he doesn't even know what it's for. She's like, what? Yeah, well, and that's what's interesting to me, right, is that I'm, I'm curious about, you know, how... So he built this, like, magical device. And so I'm curious, did the, did the like, warlock aristocrat give him the design? Or did he say, I want it to be able to do X, Y, and Z? Or was it just like an accident? I'm, I'm, that's that's one thing that I'm really curious about is how did how did Le Marchand, who theoretically is is not a demon summoner, sure, uh, make sure. this thing that summons demons? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was like, yeah? What was the route to this? Well, obviously Delisle, Duke Ob- Delisle. Yes. Yeah, obviously he's got some knowledge. But it, it seems strange that when you said, so what, what What? am I building here? That he's just like, just just a puzzle box. And what is the aim? What is the goal? It does not, just build me something that does nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and, and, and was the, like, did, did then Delisle put the magic into the box? You know, mm. it's curious. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, you know, look, look, guys, this movie's full of plot holes. But... <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> the, the, but like, I mean, I just I think it's so cool how, you know, we have this like weird aristocratic, you know, we have Adam Scott in a wig, you know, oh my God, who who is is I, I think he's awesome in this movie. It's hysterical to me. I love that this was like his essentially his first film, you know, but but then I, I, I what I love about it is that then, you know, we, we meet this, you know, this young peasant girl who gets unceremoniously killed and then like we cut to like 
body parts strewn everywhere yeah. and she's been skinned and he's chanting shit <laughs> and the floor's opening and the skin's filling up like a balloon. And I just think it's so cool, you know, the idea that there's this like weird deep magic at work, but we're not letting it, you know, it, we're not getting it explained to us. We're not getting a, you know, a step-by-step -step guide on how he's summoning the demon. We just know, oh, okay, so somehow, you know, this is how he knows what to do, and this is how this demon's going to inhabit this body. I, I don't know. I just, I think it's so, it's so neat, like the way that they handle that mythology. Yeah. I, I think a, I think a lesser movie would have explained more. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear that. I actually really love pretty much everything, like you said, Mitch, except for Adam Scott's uh, procession of bad wigs. Just about every bit of this oldie days France stuff is brilliant. I, I love when Angelique is tied to the chair and then she notices the chains coming from the ceiling and like the fact that everything's actually covered in like maggots and worms. It's just that real oogie icky feeling that you actually, actually, I, I think takes me right back to Hellraiser, the first one, because there's so sure. much about Hellraiser that just makes you feel a little bit dirty. Yeah, it's it's gross and and sweaty and slimy. Yeah, you know, you feel like you need a shower. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and what, what's interesting, you know, is that like, this is the last Hellraiser movie that was, uh, released in theaters. That's right. And I love yeah. how it's, I mean, that, that, that takes some balls for a studio to release a movie that's this grotesque. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah, know? Yeah. Also the last, uh, Hellraiser film that had Clive Barker's involvement. Right. Right. And wasn't it, wasn't it, am I incorrect in thinking that I, I, I believe I read somewhere that originally it was intended to be a TV series. Okay. Yeah, and that and that's that that originally originally when they were like first developing it, they came up with all these different storylines because they were going to be able to jump around episode to episode. But then when they wanted to condense it into a film, they said, "Well, we'll sort of do this sort of an anthology movie I style." Can, I can kind of see the I can kind of see the wisdom in that. I can see where that idea would come from because yeah, there's it's so kind of generation spanning and kind of vast that it does kind of lend itself to kind of being compartmentalized in that way. I think. It would work. Yeah. Um, an important thing is seeded here because uh, Marchand looks through the window um, and sees all this happening. And then actually, yeah, I think it's worth noting that uh, the box, yeah, opens a portal to hell, summons a demon, uh, which I think makes his uh, his wife's assertion that the box doesn't do anything seem pretty small. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> he showed her. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. My, my box does a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, he gets inventor's guilt pretty heavily here. I mean, like he gets the kind of Robert Oppenheimer thing, and he just decides that he's whatever he whatever he can do now, he has to do to undo what he's done. Yeah, and it's and it is seated here kind of importantly by an unidentified man. Who is it? That basically explains to Marshall on the idea that um, if he created a box that can summon demons, he can also create a box that can banish them. Yeah, I don't know who right. this man is that he visits because when he visits this man, he's just cutting a body up. Yeah, I don't know that we... I mean, I guess <laughs> I sort of assumed that he was another aristocratic French warlock, yeah. which, <laughs> which maybe there were a lot of. Sure. Uh, yeah. um, I mean, it's Europe, right? I mean, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm not exactly sure who he is, yeah. but I'm glad that he found that guy because obviously that was an important bit of information for him to learn. Yeah, Duke de l'Exposition. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, he goes to try and take the box uh, back, and the scene that he stumbles on is spectacular, I think. I love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's it's all great. Yeah, like you got um, uh, the, the Duke's kind of, uh, his mouth's all sliced up, and um, 
Angelique's kind of like pretty much dead. Philippe gets home then. Angelique is not dead. She's not dead. Angelique is riding Adam Scott. She is not dead. Certainly she killed. Of course she killed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Mr. She's <laughs> very, she's very much alive very and much alive. active. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Marshawn gets home, melodramatically tells his wife to save herself because the demons are coming. Yeah, well, the demons are on their way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which, which I feel is sort of like, the, the, the plight of, of the Le Marchand family line is just constantly telling people, save yourself, demons. <laughs> <laughs> Very, I love like, that oh, yeah. he immediately knows the design to draw to fix this. Like, although what he, in essence, built was a wooden, clockwork wooden box that, to the best of his knowledge, had no abilities. Function, yeah. But he's still able to draw the blueprint for a massive space station. <laughs> right. Well, he's French. Well, well, yeah, sorry, we, yeah. Well, that's, well, that settles that. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right, though. It's, it's, that, that is sort of the one, like, plot hole of this movie that, that just sort of hovers over the whole thing is, I mean, granted, I guess you could chalk a lot of it up to, well, he's just a genius. That's why he's a very, you know, special figure in this mythology. But yeah, it's curious, you know, it, it all just goes back to how do you design the thing in the first place, the first one? And then this, you know, second one, which, you, you know, I, I, I suppose must be based on his design for the first one, but somehow inverted, you know, to, to trap them. You know, just how did he how did he know, you know, what what how does he know, like how this functions at all? Yeah. Um, but uh, what I do like, though, is is I think it's a really strong plot device of the original creator of the puzzle box was not, uh, you know, an evil figure, you know, that that he he was sort of uh drawn into this innocently mm-hmm. and that his whole you know quest throughout time has been to undo what he did i think that's interesting because you always sort of assume whoever made this puzzle box in the first place you know must be evil yeah you know they, must like, knew what they were doing yeah 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 and and so i think that's an interesting sort of twist on that on that idea yeah, I think so. I, I, I think that is. I think that is really interesting. And uh, we do get a very abrupt hop to the next stage in the bloodline, which is present day at the time, ninety six. Oh, um, by the way, go. if you're if you're wondering, still no rush to stop the demons on the, oh, um, <laughs> on the space station. There's not. There's still another hundred years of story to tell. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Well, and and that the uh, you know that that essentially then we go into this whole section that ultimately doesn't really matter. <laughs> I was as I was watching it today, I was going. This whole middle section really isn't pertinent at all to the story. I mean, there's some cool stuff in it, but, you know, ultimately, like, like you said, if the demons are coming, why doesn't he just say, look, I had an ancestor, he built a box, it created demons, and then, you know, he died trying to do it, and now I'm trying to complete his work. Not, you know, well, I had an ancestor, he built this box, and then, by the way, I had another ancestor back <laughs> in the mid-90s. <laughs> And he was an architect, and he sort of did some stuff, and then he failed. Yeah, if I was one of the space cops listening to this story, I'd be like, "God, this is a baggy retelling." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just um, cuff this guy and get off here. They'd have they'd have had him scooped up long before this, and, and be on their way home. And and I'm I'm curious too. What if they had just left? What you know? It seems like Pinhead and crew tend to be confined to the physical reality of like the place that they're in. Like he's not flying around this space station. He's walking through hallways. So, like, what if they had just left? Would he have just been stuck in space? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I really do like that uh, Pinhead isn't hopping about and appearing behind people in this. He's putting in the legwork. He prowls around <laughs> corridors constantly in this film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they really... Yeah, they... Uh, 
I feel like they tried to rectify the mistake of having him literally stuck inside of a column uh, <laughs> for the entirety of part three. That this time they're like, nope, he's going to be fucking walking all over the place. Yeah, he's going to be getting that step count up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the way that we're introduced to John Merchant, who is the uh, the middle descendant that we meet here. Um, his um, waking from a nightmare is hilarious. It's, it's not great. convincing. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, uh, we we like his dreams are being haunted by uh, Angelique. Sure, and she lives in Paris. We find out in the present day with uh, with Jacques. With, she she lives she she lives in Paris uh, with with yet another wig wearing Adam Scott. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. got he's, he's got an, an even douchier wig on. Now, how how has he survived two hundred years? Well, I, I have to assume that he must have been like since now he controls a demon. That he must have said, "Give me, you know, eternal life." That's right. kind of what I assume. Okay, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Well, it's fair to say that any bargaining or relationship that they've got together, any deal that's in place, is coming to an end pretty quickly here. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it, it seems like if you're taught by your master, you know, you can do whatever you want, just don't stand in hell's way. Well, you know, that you would remember that. Um, it, it also, <laughs> it also seems like a really horrible contract. Like, that's so vague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair. You know, like, like is the contract broken if you're like, no, you can't get ice cream right now. We're in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, to what extent do you have to stand in hell's way? How obstructive do you have to be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, are you going to be in the toilet much longer? Because I also need to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I know. It seems, yeah, it really seems like that's a troublesome uh, clause in that contract. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's very ambiguously worded. Particularly in a relationship which seems to be sexual, it seems to be a relationship as we might know one, but it also seems quite toxic and quite uh, bitter. That's a way of putting it, yes. <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think they're happy. Um, it's, 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 it's quite clear that he's not. You know, he's sitting there like just, just guzzling booze and, and, you know, I would have thought that he was going to be pretty good with everything. You know, yeah. he, he presumably can have whatever he wants. Yeah, I mean, you like, know? It's, it seems and, like an OK life like on paper. Yeah, but but we see him and he's all sweaty and nervous and <laughs> upset. And and, you know, and, and, I just, <laughs> and I just love that she completely traps him into, you know, in, into uh, no, you can't go to America. And right then she's like ripping his face off. Yeah. And, and didn't he, didn't he in fact say, oh, maybe I was a little hasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because basically just, just, just to ground this very quickly. So yeah, John Merchant is this kind of, uh, this world renowned architect who, uh, to such an extent that his, uh, face appears on the cover of a world worldwide kind of architecture periodical that they you find. Mean, you mean the architectural epoch? Oh, thank you. Yes, right. the very yes. same. You're wow. Well, you're welcome. Good, good. Um, so, uh, yeah, good eye. Uh, so, uh, so Angelique clocks this, realizes that the uh, the bloodline has survived, and, yeah, wants to uh, set a course for America to right that wrong. And, uh, yeah, Jack pays for standing in hell's way pretty promptly and pretty handsomely. Uh, I think that this death scene is great. Yeah, it's it's awesome. All of the gore in this movie, and Super. all it's all really well done. It's all really inventive. Yeah, I, I, I love all of it. I actually, uh, speaking about the, the effects, uh, I think that Pinhead's actual makeup is better than it looked in the third one. Um, I'd agree with that, yeah. He, he had a weird jowliness in the third one. Yeah, 
Yeah, and and as I recall in the third one, it was like really blue, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, a pretty neat piece of jetpack in here. Uh, Angelique <laughs> says that she will be in that she's going to America, and then is just in America in the next scene, turning up as John wins an award. Um, so she shows up mid speech. John recognizes her as the specter that haunts his nightmares. Uh, that understandably throws him off his thought a little bit. She le- <laughs> uh, he leaves, and uh, she passes the time by seducing a paunchy everyman security guard. You see nightmares, <laughs> Mitch. Well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which which uh, I I love that there's not really I mean I don't think there's really a reason for him to or for her to kill that guy. No, um, just, just aside for a laugh. from just aside from just like I don't know wanting to summon Pinhead. Yeah, it seems like it's but it seems like the the protracted nature um, of how the security guard gets kind of seduced into opening the box and then killed is a complete boredom buster. Well, it's very aye, it's very like the original Hellraiser though. It's bringing back these bold businessmen, kind of what Julia does to bring Frank back. Right. Kind of plays out very like that but my big question is why the fuck does she want to bring pinhead back when it seems like they do not like each other one jot i i, I kind of feel like they happen on that after he arrives <laughs> right okay but, well yeah but yeah but i mean doesn't she know what it well maybe she doesn't know what the box does because it seems like when she when she left you know she was a princess of hell and that hell used to be you know totally chaotic and whatever and and maybe you know at the time pinhead was like the nerd that nobody liked and <laughs> and and so then she le- she you know gets sucked out of hell to be this guy's slave for 200 years so maybe she doesn't know that he's going to come yeah maybe she's just like oh i'm going to open up this portal to hell and everything's going to be great oh man pinhead <laughs> oh, not this fucking asshole it's like oh god it's mclovin yeah exactly exactly <laughs> but yeah he's here they're all here. Um, yeah, the I, gang's all here, yeah. and the the incredibly funny chatterer beast, the dog thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love it. By the way, I, I think love it. There's moments of that dog when it looks really good, and other moments. Oh yeah, when it no, looks I, I flat out terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I feel like they needed to find like a happy medium between the really good stuff and like sh- like showing it just enough to where we were, you know, uh, enticed by it, but we didn't see too much. Mm. Um, you know, but yeah, there are some times when we sort of linger on a little bit long and we're going, okay, well, you know, that's not quite as effective. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I guess, too, that, that what I was reading about the work print or something is that maybe it had even more of the Chatterer Beast or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but that it had maybe more of the monster and, and the producers perhaps rightly said, no, we need less of it. Makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. Because <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think that I think that when you see it in kind of like a, in snapshot form, it's way more effective than when you see it for any amount of time. I do. I do. However, love the uh, the moment where Pinhead's petting the dove. Oh yeah. And then lets <laughs> it fly and just get chomped by the monster. <laughs> yeah. But Pinhead's just bored and feeding doves to a devil dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just bored. Bored Pinhead is is that should be a meme. Definitely. Uh, one of my favorite moments in the film. Next, Angelique visits John Merchant, who uh, takes absolutely zero persuading. Given that she shows up, does not introduce herself. No. Um, no. And uh, he takes yeah. absolutely no persuading to show um, all his top secret designs to her. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. She could be anyone. Yeah. This could be corporate espionage. Yeah. Can you imagine? What if that were the movie? What if it was just you know? What if it was just like some beautiful woman you know from the rival architecture firm that that came in and wanted to get these plans? He would have given it all up. <laughs> By the way, the building he's built is hilarious. The one that's covered in like clockwork panels from the Lament configuration box. Yeah. That's ostentatious AF gaudy. Yeah, it's really not a very attractive building. <laughs> I like I, I like that uh we we sort of get the um we 
we sort of get the the sense like when when I guess Pinhead is like standing in that room with Angelique and he he sort of looks up at the walls, you know, the building, and he goes, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah, I, I like to. I, I like to think that Pinhead himself is also going, this is really not attractive. <laughs> that is horrible. Um, Angelique, when she's when she's meeting John here, she sells crazy right out of the gate. Again, given that she doesn't explain why she's there, she immediately starts saying incredibly bombastic, ambiguous things about destiny and bloodlines. <laughs> right. Which, <laughs> right. And, like, he, and he buys all of it. I was going to be just completely unfazed by. And then she immediately invades his dreams. Oh, yeah. Well, she invades his dreams and invades his bed. Yeah, yeah, and um, he wakes up, she phones him and wakes him from his slumber, and uh, we haven't really talked about his wife, Bobby, played by uh, Kim Myers from A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think she's alright here, yeah, she's kind of the hero of this segment. I think so, I think so. Uh, what I like is that twist, that it's Merchant that gets his head cut off, and oh, yeah. Merchant is the one that, you know, fails, and that it's the wife that, you know, is the one that ends up ultimately saving the day in the sequence. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice... Again, I feel like it's the, this movie, like what it does really well for all its cheesiness and kind of stupidity, is that it keeps uh, subverting what the expectations are. And I think, especially for a fourth entry in the franchise, that's pretty cool. Like you don't you don't expect that. I think it's very. I th- yeah, I think I think it's I, the way that this section unfolds ultimately is pretty smart. I think so too. And uh, I want to point out, I, I spent this whole segment watching that little, the son, the little boy oh, yeah. mm-hmm. going, going, how do I know him? Where do I recognize him from? Okay. He he played Danny Torrance in Mick Garris's The Shining miniseries. Oh, did he? Yes. Ah. Yeah, see? There you go. Okay. He doesn't have hellish much to do in this except for play with Lego Connects. <laughs> Yeah, there's a great moment where he starts one of the Ferris wheels going and he just goes, the camera holds on him and he goes, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> two, of my favorite, uh, two of my favorite characters are introduced here, the identical twin security guards. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> Finishing each other's sentences um, as twins do, I guess. Yes. Yeah. As, as a twin myself, I can confirm that does happen. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't know you were a twin. Yeah, I have a twin sister. Oh, interesting. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. Um, can you can you like read each other's thoughts and telepathically like move things? Um, <laughs> uh, the first one, yeah, tele- no, telepathically move things. Not yet. Okay. Do okay, you feel I, good? I like your optimism. Do you feel each other's pain? Uh, no, 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 not that. I wouldn't say. But yeah, uh, Mitch trivia aside, um, they <laughs> are uh, patrolling a building that they don't know is also occupied by Pinhead and Angelique. There are a lot of things that I really like about where this goes and how it unfolds. I think that it starts off being hilarious and then gets incrementally grosser in a way that I think is pretty awesome. Well, yeah, yeah no, I totally agree. I think it's uh, one. I do think it's hilarious that they're they have a, a checklist where literally they appear to just be checking that doors exist. Um, <laughs> yeah. They, 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 <laughs> Yep. Door, yeah, that, they're not. They're right. not like opening the doors and looking at the rooms. They're just saying, "Oh, there's that door. <laughs> yeah. I saw it. <laughs> they're all still there." Um, <laughs> and then they're like, "That's a new um, door." Yeah. That's. Oh wow! Look at that. Yeah. No, but but I agree. I think it's really neat. You know that that yet again, this appears to be the result of bored pinhead. Um, you know, because he doesn't need to do this. Um, but. <laughs> But uh, I, I, I do really love that these two, you know, innocent guys, you know, get lured into this weird, like surreal hallway. And and then immediately we're like in this sort of like otherworldly location. 
and they're getting turned into a Cenobite. Like, how cool to see that happen. Mm. Yeah. The actual the actual machinations of that are great. I think it's deserved because they rather, upon first seeing Pinhead, they rather cruelly remark on the fact that he has pins in his face as if he doesn't... This is true! As if he doesn't yeah. know. <laughs> He's like, yeah, guys, assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I love I yeah, I love, you know, watching the skin get stretched on that like sort of center pivot. Yeah, that's, um, awesome. that's really neat. I love the claws that, you know, suck the blood out and pump in that blue fluid. And and then just the design when they get revealed is really cool. It's a really neat, you know, it's like I want that action figure. Yeah, um, exactly. I think that um, also you kind of get the um, best distillation of the difference of opinion between Pinhead and Angelique on how hell should be run effectively at this point because uh, he basically, when he, he kind of obviously puts them through this absolute ordeal and kind of makes his point to Angelique that um, pain and suffering is way more hell appropriate than temptation, which mm-hmm. seems to be her kind of uh, MO. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's interesting that, you know, here we, we get a bit of a, a more cruel Pinhead. You know, I, I kind of feel like in in the first, at least the first two films, you know, we're we're sort of P- Pinhead's almost like almost a protagonist in a way. Yeah. Um. You know, like he makes deals with Kirsty, and he, you know, is is sort of uh, you know, there to vanquish, you know, Doctor Chenard, you know, and in this one, he's he's definitely there to like cause pain. Yeah. He's there to wreak havoc on the world, and and it makes him more scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very like very straight villainous. Yeah, Pinhead to me has always seemed like a middleman. He's always seemed like a kind of deal broker. Um, sure. Going both directions. He to me as a character has always seemed to straddle the line between your chief protagonist and your chief antagonist, and he's it can be quite a bloody line because I'd say. As the more relationship you see a pinhead with Kirsty, the softer he gets towards her. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see that. I see that. He, he, it's And that's what's sort of interesting, too, about this whole, like, Cenobite mythology, right? Is that we don't exactly know what their roles are. Yeah. Like, we know they're from hell, but, like, he's not Satan. No. You know? And we don't know. And we don't. And, like, is Leviathan Satan? Or is that a different thing? Does Satan even exist? Uh, you know, demons to some, angels to others. Like, uh, it's just sort of an interesting kind of nebulous definition for him always. And yeah, and I kind of love that. I just kind of, you know, it just like makes my imagination go, you know, all over the place with, you know, wanting to know more about the mythology of this world. And and, and that's what's so cool about his relationship with Angelique because we get a little, little bit more of a glimpse into like the history of hell, the inner workings, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I have to assume there must have been an, an, a, some sort of a coup at some point, right? Where maybe when Angelique left, yeah, that, that's the you know, I get. right? Yeah, like somehow, like when she when she left, like he took over. Or something like that. I don't know. It's interesting. I really like the uh, the scene that comes up here where uh, Pinhead kidnaps effectively uh, John's wife and son, and the whole the whole way that that unfolds is pretty cool. I think that like um, also I got shades of Poltergeist three here a little bit when it was um, John running <laughs> totally around. yeah like run, running around the kind of like these kind of unidentified kind of spooky corridors in this in this huge building. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't uh, yeah I hadn't thought of that myself, but you're totally right. And, uh, yeah, this is kind of like the final standoff of this segment. Yeah. And um, I, um, um, as a first viewing and someone who was kind of like trying to take this in and also trying to take notes, I found how this unfolded to be kind of confusing. Go on, let's see. It's 100% confusing. (laughs) Okay, uh, Graham, can you be my spirit guide through what goes on here? Well, I mean, I'm not even sure. I totally know. So basically, Pinhead says, 
it, we've got to get, you know, merchant to finish his design. Right. We've got to get him to complete it. Now, what's interesting to me is that I, there's no indication up until this point that had Pinhead never showed up, that he would have completed his design. You know, <laughs> that that it, it just seems it, it's always struck me as kind of weird that, you know, essentially Pinhead shows up and says, you just keep going. <laughs> and <laughs> You know, and then and then at that point, Merchant goes, well, no, you have my son. And so Pinhead kind of screws that up. But but essentially, my understanding is that Pinhead thinks and, and this is what I think is going on. Okay. I think Pinhead thinks that Merchant's design, when activated, is going to open a portal to hell. Yes. Now, I think Angelique, having seen the designs, knows that, in fact, this is going to be the thing that closes the portal to hell. Right. And destroys Pinhead somehow. Okay. So I think what's going on is Angelique's trying to get him to complete his work for that reason. And Pinhead's trying to get him to complete his work for his reason. And Merchant is now trying to, I don't know what he's trying to do. I guess he's just <laughs> trying to like escape with his son and his wife. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just, it, it seems like now he's just trying to, uh, you know, vanquish Pinhead however he can. You know, and then at, at a certain point, of course, Merchant gets killed. And then uh, his wife, whose name I can't remember. Bobby. Bob, yes, there you go. She somehow finds the puzzle box. And I'm still unclear how it was she actually found it. Um, but she, <laughs> you know, ends up finding it and, and somehow knows through intuition that if she does, you know, the puzzle box and opens it, that it'll suck Pinhead into it. Yeah. And, and and so, yeah, it's it's very confusing. And I'm not exactly sure. Like, it, I, I'm pretty clear what Angelique wants. She wants to get rid of Pinhead so she can go back and take over hell. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure Pinhead, you know, wants to open up the, the portal so that all of hell can come to Earth. But I'm not sure how Merchant actually knows that any of this, any of his work, like, has to do anything with hell. Because all he's had are dreams and... <sighs> And, you know, these ancient designs and, you know, Angelique talking to him about fate. Yeah, but very much in the abstract. He's not clued into the mechanics of this in any way at all that we see. Um, Which I guess is sort of true to his, you know, his ancestor, right? <laughs> that didn't really know what he was doing. Yeah, that is also true. I'm, although I'm, I must say it's a source of some relief that you found this as muddy as I did. Because when... Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and, I mean, I guess that's, you know, one of the main complaints about this movie but I think, like, regardless of if it makes sense, it's just fun. Yeah, it's super yeah. enjoyable like, in the moment, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, like, like you're not thinking, you're going, oh, the Chatterer Beast is coming, and she's doing the puzzle box, and then now Angelique's getting sucked away by chains, and, and uh, Pinhead's surrounded by flashes of light, and I don't know, it's cool, it's just, it's fun. Yeah. I just want to say it on Doug Bradley. I think that the rest of the script's so confusing and kind of all over the place, in a, in a fun way. <clears throat> But it seems like every single amazing line is reserved for Doug Bradley. I think the writing for Pinhead in this is superb. I agree 100%. I think he's great. I mean, I dare say this might be my favorite version of Pinhead right? of okay. the whole series. Like, you know, in the first one, I mean, he's barely in the movie, right? Mm -hmm. And in the second one, you know, I think he's he's interesting, but it's that movie's all about Dr. Chenard. Yeah. And in the third one, I think he's just really goofy. But like in this one, they give him a lot to do. They give him, you know, a lot of personality. You you really kind of get a sense of like 
what Pinhead likes, what he yeah. doesn't like, mm-hmm. what he's after. And of course, Doug Bradley's just great. So yeah, I agree. I think he's fantastic in this movie. And and I, uh, you know, they, they finally with this one found a way, I think, to make him the big bad that all the other movies try to make him. You know, he's yeah. an iconic looking monster, but like he's not the big bad of Hellraiser. He's a, a, a sort of a side villain that comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I agree. I, I think he's great. I'm glad that they took a step back from going down that Freddy Krueger route that they started nudging into in the third film, where he was yeah. on, he was on danger of becoming this real comic book kind of clown villain. Because yeah, I, totally. I think that, I mean, and I'm glad that something they never really did with any of the, the subsequent films after this, they tended to keep him quite sparse and quite serious when he was around yeah but i mean in the in the later films i mean he's literally in it for like a scene yeah you know they they just you know they're trying to figure out a way to uh, how do we add pinhead into this thing and only pay doug bradley for a day's worth of work (laughs) (laughs) and and in this one like it really feels like you know for lack of a better word like it feels like a real like a real movie you know of of you know this is you know here's our monster and uh yeah i think they utilize them really well and and you know, I love. I just love that Pinhead's whole like mo is to sort of pontificate on the philosophy of life and death. And and th- there are a couple moments in the movie where you know he's saying these beautiful, eloquent speeches, and the people and you know the people he's talking to use the opportunity to escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because that's when he's he's got his big uh, his big lovely spiel about uh, about Earth and the, the all the flesh that's on Earth. There's more flesh on Earth than there's ever been. Like, and its history and all that stuff. I'm sure Wiley's prattling on about Earth. They're like, should we just, should we just, we just go? go? Can we, can we just, just go? He's just like, he, he's 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 fine. He's fine without us. Because yeah, because Pinhead ultimately kills John. Obviously, um, Bobby opens the box, which ultimately sends Pinhead and Angelique back to hell. And with that, we head back to the future. Oh yeah, yeah, very uh, <laughs> good. Um, skepticism abounds on the Milos. Still, at this point. still. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, she's. I, I, I suppose to her credit, you know, she has been sitting here for like an hour and a half listening to him talk about demons throughout history. So, which, which really isn't, you know, pertinent at all to what he's doing with his <laughs> space station. So, I, I guess to her credit, you know, I would also be going like, "What are you talking about, dude?" Yeah, and um, and with with also at this point, no demonstrable evidence that there are any demons on the ship. That's true. Yeah, no, that's no, true. yeah, yeah, not at all. There's an exploded robot. Yeah, like I mean, it shifts gears pretty dramatically after that. But yeah, up to that point, you just kind of like it does kind of sound like the ramblings of a madman. Yeah, well, well, because now you know she's basically saying, you know, look, I don't believe you, and we're gonna you know, go gather the rest of the crew or something like that. Mm. And, you know, the, then we're going to get out of here because uh, it's not really clear why they're not already gone, you know? Yeah. But yeah, then the, you know, of course, other space cops wandering around the space station uh, end up start encountering Cenobites. Uh, yeah. So I, I just before, because obviously like, I, I think that the kind of the crew gets kind of decimated one by one in a sequence of kills that I think are pretty much universally really, really great. Oh yeah, yeah, they're yeah. awesome. Um, yeah, the the I think the mirror one is my favorite. Yeah, that's that's I've got that written down as my favorite one. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. What I like about it before this before this gets going is like you know, like we know as a viewer, the, like exactly to what extent shit is about to hit the fan. Mm-hmm. They don't, and I think that when they're kind of like saying that Merchant needs to be dragged away and imprisoned and stuff like that, and he's kind of pleading for cooperation, I think that really works because um, it's kind of like, well, I find it really mad and be like, don't do that, you fucking morons. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that they build up the tension really well. I think that the, you know, we, we have a good long bit of time, you know, there once we jump back into the future where we're, we're, we're watching these guys that we know are all going to die. And, you know, for a fourth movie in a franchise to actually and, and for ultimately knowing what's going to happen, like, I feel like it, it's really effective. Like, you're really tense and, you know, really just wanting this dude to, like, complete his work. Yeah, it's it's they do a good job with it. Yeah, I think the only reason the only reason that that scene works is because it's worked so hard to do the leg. The film's worked so hard to do the legwork up to that point. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, yeah, I uh, but yeah, once it gets going, man, those kills are fantastic. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty amazing. What, the first like, one with like, the pinhead dispatching the first guy, I think, with the hooks through the face. Oh yeah, yes. Uh, that might yeah, is that yeah? That's the one where he uh, the his basically his head gets skinned completely. Yes, and then there's a a, a, a hook that just goes straight down through the top of the skull, like <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, it's it's like that is also. I mean, like um, that's horrible as well. I mean, like, <laughs> like just like like as a visual and just the whole way the whole way it fits together is absolutely horrible. And I think that is also true of um Angelique's look as a Cenobite because obviously when they come back, she's been kind of enslaved again. Yeah. So you know what I read is that Gary Tedicliffe's inspiration, I'm not even joking, for her look as the Cenobite when she comes back was he had seen Sister Act 2 back in the habit. What? Amazing. <laughs> so he made her a nun. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah, isn't that, that great? That is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think I'd read that. <laughs> That's so good. They slowly start to kind of, despite the fact that um, the crew on the Milos, their their number has been pretty heavily reduced, they start to get the upper hand here, uh, eventually. Rimmer dispatches Helldog. I do. I want to talk about the dispatching of the Helldog, because I'm, I'm, I, when that happened, I was going, oh, she's going to, like, suck it out into space or something. Yep, yep. But it appears that this room where she traps Helldog, that its only purpose on the space station is to explode things? True, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, I did, I did kind of wonder that. Because when it happened, I was like, oh, that looked kind of cool. But what, though? <laughs> yeah, what? God, what a horrible room. <laughs> I mean, Why I... would you even have that? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't ever get caught in that room. <laughs> Maybe that's why they came to his ship, because he built a, a horror room that was just designed yeah, to right. blow stuff up. <laughs> right, right. They're like, God, you know what this guy's building up there? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a stop to this. It is a it is a really cool scene, but yeah, I had the exact same thing. I was just like, that was amazing. But what what just happened? Very cool. Yeah, yeah. And and I I love the the twins getting to kill that other guy. Yeah, they kind of just absorb them. Yeah, yeah, which is like super weird. Like, and that we don't really see it. We just see him like kind of get sucked up in blood fall. It's like, (laughs) oh god, what a horrible way to go. Yeah, don't his shoes come like clattering down or like his trousers kind of fall on top of his shoes or something quite and it's yeah it's quite yeah. a funny little moment uh, there is kind of a wah, wah thing at the end of that i can't remember exactly what it is but yeah <laughs> um but yeah just as it looks like pinhead's going to erase the merchant bloodline once and for all he gets caught up talking about how lovely earth is yeah earth's great so much flesh yeah he scratches the glass i got really mad when he scratched the glass of the monitor oh yeah. you know he, i was like what are you doing <laughs> Totally, exactly. Yeah, this yeah. This fucking guy. But um, yeah, he does. Uh, he, he does. Uh, he soliloquizes for a little too long here. Since has Pinhead always had fish hook fingernails? No, they. I, I don't think they appear in any other movie. Okay, yeah. Pinhead, it's a pretty. It's a pretty cool touch, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's cool. I suppose he can do what he likes. But yeah, I, I agree that using them to just to, to scratch him on her like that is a complete dick move in a way that yeah, feels yeah, like a dick move. In, in, in a film, and weirdly in a film where he spends a lot of time slicing people up with fish hooks, feels particularly egregious for some reason. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's like, that wasn't necessary. <laughs> um, but but yeah, ultimately, I, I love so much that Merchant uh, ends up tricking Pinhead via hologram. Brilliant. <laughs> like, like, it's wonderful. It's so funny. It's like, here's a, an eternal demon of hell, and he gets tricked with a hologram. Yep, yep. Love it. But I think that it works to... It surprised me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it surprised me. It comes out of left field, in the, I suppose, in the best possible way. Sure, I yeah. Like, oh, it's, well, okay, it's well, a hologram. And, <laughs> okay. And I just... Again, and again, this goes back to my question of, you know, it seems that Pinhead's constrained by physical space, you know, because then he goes, wait, where are you? <laughs> and then, and then the, the, the monitor pops up, and he's sitting with Rimmer in the in the uh uh you know in the space shuttle like talking to him by a monitor i'm going oh wow so pinhead really is just like you know he'd have to hoof it all the way over to the you know other end of the space station to try to get at him I you know put why it, not just I wouldn't put it past him them. in the place to begin with yeah i wouldn't put it past him like we say he's been clocking up some miles on those shoes he, re- he really has i would love to have seen him go oh god damn it just start running <laughs> yeah but he's you know he's been blasting those calves for this entire film i think he could do it yeah um but yeah as it turns out of course um the the mulos is a gigantic elysium configuration lament configuration elysium configuration oh is it uh, sorry sorry much yeah. that's uh, well yeah, well the the limit con- the limit configuration is what brings them into the world the elysium configuration so is takes what them takes out. them out of it yeah I love the fact that this is extremely spectacular, and then the film just very, very abruptly ends. I like that, you know, I, yep, there is so there is no savoring the magnitude of what you've just achieved. Nothing like that. It's just it's done. It's over. It's done. Yeah, it's over. Credits are rolling. I know. I, I felt the same way. Yeah, I think I, I think that so many so many endings to films like this lose their way in the moments after something like that, and I just love the fact that it's because it it gives kind of a pinhead being defeated kind of like more than enough airtime you know like he's killed very graphically in a way that is very satisfying and again oh, he, get, sure. he gets a nice poetic out i think he says amen as he goes out yeah 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 oh, fucking what else <laughs> yeah no it's great it's like what else do you want like nothing yeah. and uh, and with that hellraiser bloodline ends so graham uh i had I was, this was my first watch as we said um literally uh the credits rolled 10 minutes before we came up to do this so a lot of my reactions were kind of half-formed when we started talking about this. The more we've dug in, the more I like it. I think that this is a lot of fun. I think that um, the kind of like gore-wise and kind of kill-wise, it works pretty much across the board. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, I think that some some of the writing is kind of, a, it's a little bit kind of choppy. I think uh, there's some kind of weird questions and kind of things that you kind of feel are almost definitely a byproduct of things being cut out with the work print. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I think I it's 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 a really it's a really easy watch in the best possible way. And I think that Doug Bradley is brilliant here as well. He's doing great work. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 glad you liked it. I, I feel the same way. I think that, you know, the the first two Hellraiser movies are are pretty um heady, you know, and are, are sort of, you know, I think rightfully kind of vaulted in the annals of horror as being the, the kind of art housey part of this of of the like eighties horror boom. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if we're talking about sort of that Friday the thirteenth, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, Halloween kind of fun, slashery horror, I, I feel like Hellraiser Bloodline 
satisfies that. Um, and I think that it does it by highlighting all the things that make Hellraiser cool, which is like a weird mythology, really inventive kills, uh, really weird, unique creature effects, mm-hmm. and and really kind of dirty family drama. And, you know, I think those are sort of like the bones of what make a, Hell- a Hellraiser movie a Hellraiser movie. And I think that this takes all those and yet doesn't like it doesn't take itself so seriously, you know, it, mm. it just allows you to have fun. And, and so, yeah, that's why I love it. And I, I just, I, I wanted to talk about it today because I really do feel like people don't, they, 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 they automatically dismiss it. You know, yeah. you, you hear pinhead in space and you laugh about it, you know, cause it is inherently funny, but, but you, you, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a fun movie, you know, and it's well-made. I mean, yeah, it has a lot of problems, but like, I don't care, you know, it's yeah. fun. It's, it's, uh, it's a, a jaunt through time with the Le Marchand clan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andy, anything to add? Yeah, I, I just want to say, I kind of agree with Graham. It's a, it's a weird film. And when we announced that this was the film we were going to be doing, a lot of people came and said it was terrible. But they kind of caveated that with it was terrible, or at least like I remember it being terrible, or it was terrible, but I haven't watched it in a long time. I kind of felt the same way coming into this. It had been a long time since I watched it, and it was my it was my DVD of this that we we watched tonight. So I, I dug that out for this. It hadn't been. I don't think it had been watched possibly since I bought it. And what I found when I was watching it is there are moments in it where it feels like a real missed opportunity because I would love to know what was missing. And maybe there is more that I can find on this work print that's flying around somewhere, but I just feel like I would love to see what, what they had in mind for it. But as it stands, to me, this film is the true ending of Hellraiser. It's a prequel, it's a sequel, but it's also the, the kind of start and end of a franchise that, yeah, I don't think ever got better than this. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it really, I mean, after this, you know, they, they basically, you know, made it where there were different you know people doing different horrible things and occasionally pinhead would show up yeah and there's some interesting stuff in those movies but yeah this one it really does i think do a good job of it ties everything together and it 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 you know it's it's this has never been a franchise about like i don't know like freddy krueger is easy right because he's he was a child killer and now he's getting revenge we kind of know what his arc is you know you know that jason's getting revenge on you know all the kids at camp crystal lake you know, that Michael Myers, you know, he was after his sister, yeah. you know, sort of thing. And but with this, you know, Pinhead was always such an enigmatic, you know, the Cenobites in general were always these like kind of enigmatic monsters that, you know, didn't really seem to have much of a goal aside from just generally doing their job. Yeah, you know, he's got no motivation. And, like... Yeah. And, and this one actually, you know, it gives it gives them some motivation and it gives us a glimpse into into the the full arc of this of this like mythology you know and that's what clyde barker does so well is he invents these like wild worlds you know that we're sort of allowed a glimpse into yeah and i think that this movie does a really good job of saying all right well this series is obviously about you know this huge mythology so we're going to tell you the totality of it Mm -hmm. and here you go you know (laughs) And, and 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 i mean it's it's a super like weird way to go about it <laughs> like not everybody would make a, a fourth film in a franchise you know jump around in time like this but mm-hmm. i'm glad that this one did it's cool and different i yeah, really I like agree. i really like that about it i think it's a, a lovely way to bookend and well with one film to bookend a franchise um and 
if they had never made another film with the Hellraiser tag on it after this, I wouldn't have been disappointed with this being the final one. Yeah, 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 me neither. I, I think that, uh, you know, in some ways, this is probably where it should have, you know, it should have ended. Yeah. Um, uh, although I do I do appreciate uh, some, of, some of the later sequels, but mm-hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, this is a really nice, interesting cap to the most bizarre horror franchise that we have <laughs> and to, to those people who were saying you know i didn't really like it or i haven't watched it in a long time but i remember not liking it i would 100 percent say revisit it because i yeah, think you'll, i think you'll be surprised it, 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 it has the sad kind of legacy of being tarred with a horror franchise sequel set in space kind of thing like which generally hasn't worked out that well in the past with other franchises but I think in this case, the space stuff is so minimal. Well, it's it's minimal, but and it's also like textually founded, you yeah. know, like it it, it it weirdly works like it's not like I, I feel like as much as I do enjoy Jason X, it's totally a gimmick, right? Like we're going to put oh, Jason absolutely. in space, 100%. you know, but this it doesn't it doesn't feel like a gimmick to me. It just feels like, you know, if we're starting at the creation of the puzzle box in, you know, the 1700s, then we're going to logically jump ahead several hundred years and end it in in the future i don't know it just it makes sense to me yeah and actually there's really very little attention paid to the fact that we're in space it's never mentioned the only kind of context we have for it being in space is when we see the space station kind of moving and we see the glimpse of earth out the monitor yeah yeah they don't have to go into the detail of talking about it being in space and ships and yeah, like when this is kind of the wraparound part and when it kind of obviously takes over the third act, it never at any point feels like a space movie. No, no. Although I would love to see what Pinhead and Zero G looks like. Yes, give me that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I was I was into this. I think this is a good selection. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Yay, yeah. good, good. Yeah. <laughs> Graham, it has been a year and you have been a very busy man. Yeah, I've been doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah, um, we'll get to the we'll get to the films in a sec, but um, I want to talk a little bit about the rated R speakeasy first. Yeah, um, it's uh, you know, been sort of a surprising, really fun success. Um, yeah, rated R speakeasy is a uh, a, a thing that I came up with, gosh, back in uh, I guess early March of this year. Um, and uh, basically, how it came about was I I uh, have these two friends um, who are. Uh, horror uh, designers and costume designers. I've been friends with them forever, and they have a uh, a warehouse space here in LA. And I was walking my dog one day, and I was thinking, you know what? I really wish I had is a horror themed bar that I could go to. Like if I had a horror bar, I would go to it all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I called them, and I said, what if we tried doing for one night only a horror pop up bar? You know, we do it ourselves. And we, you know, see if anybody wants to come to it and, you know, just kind of see what happens. And so we did it three weeks later and we had like 600 people show up. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was nuts. NBC LA picked it up, you know, all these different publications and blogs were really excited about it. And yeah, it was a huge success. People really loved it. And what we discovered, you know, was, was what I had sort of thought would happen was that you know the horror community really wanted something like this that this was a thing that was needed and it's really fun it's it's uh you know we have horror movie soundtracks playing all night uh we have a big screening room with all these big inflatable chairs we can watch a movie we have you know a bar with uh aerial bartenders doing like aerial silks and they serve you drinks from above we have an arcade with all horror arcade games and pinball machines 
we have uh, horror movies playing on on TV screens all over the place all night. Um, we have a little vampire lounge where <laughs> you know that's sort of uh, set aside. You kind of have to discover it, but it has you know like a little an old TV in there with a VCR, and you can choose a VHS tape and pop it in and watch it. And we have uh, you know a taco truck and um, an artist alley where. Uh, local horror artists come and are able to display and sell uh, the art that they create. Yeah. It's just really fun. It's, it's, a, it's a really fun yeah. night, you I, know. I mean, that's um, that's so cool. Like when I, I think after the first one, I commented on one of your posts, just saying, "Ah, oh, man, I, like I would have done anything to be there." Like that. It's something that we certainly don't have here. And even after last week's last week's one that you did as well, when you when you did it yeah. again last week, I, yeah, it's just it just looks so much fun and it is great to see the community coming together like that yeah it's it's really um it's just really special you know like it's it's we're all weirdos you know that that like to do this stuff and that have you know sort of centered our lives around horror and i think that obviously we all like to get together but when you're able to get together not in october (laughs) and you know surround yourself with things that you love and and have you know sort of a, a place where you can all together celebrate all these things that you love, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's just a really special thing. And, and everybody's so cool in the horror community. And, and it's, it's, uh, just really nice to see people walk in with a big smile on their face and, you know, pointing and laughing at like a body hanging by a noose from the seat, <laughs> you know, where, where I'm going, if that were in any other bar, you know, I'd be the one guy laughing and pointing at it and everybody else would be horrified. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and, and just to have, you know, it's like so much like we have people in monster suits, roaming around, you know, scaring people. Mm-hmm. And it's like so much fun to be, you know, sitting there with a beer in your hand and having, you know, a dude with intestines falling out of his mouth come up and scream at you <laughs> from behind, you know? It's just, it's fun. It's, it's, and it's that unique kind of fun that I think we in the horror community really like that other people don't get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to be able to all get together and enjoy that as a group, is really fun. So, so yeah, so we're going to keep doing it. We're next week going up to Chicago and we're doing sort of a different version of it at Cinepocalypse Film Fest. Oh, yeah, that's um, nice. And then we're going to keep doing it um, here in LA on a more regular basis. Uh, we're setting the new date now. So, yeah, we're going to keep doing it here and, and see if we can continue to run it, you know, as, as frequently as, as we can. And, uh, you know, and then hopefully, I mean, I, my good Lord, I would love to be able to take it to, london and edinburgh yes. and glasgow and you know be able to uh, party out there yeah um yeah but I, I i really love it and if anybody wants to know more about it um rated speakeasy.com is our website and you can like sign up for the newsletter and stuff where we can kind of keep you updated but it has pictures and stuff there so it's uh it's pretty fun Cool. Amazing. Yeah, that sounds great. And yeah, we mentioned a couple of things at the top of this. Uh, first off, you just finished the film VFW. Yeah, just finished shooting VFW. Uh, it's a, a Fangoria production. Yeah. Um, filmed that in Dallas. Joe Begas directed it. Um, and it is a wild fucking movie. Uh, and I was really happy to be a part of it. And um, I can tell you guys right now, you're going to you're gonna flip out over it. It's great. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And Bliss with Joe as well. Yes. Yeah. Bliss with Joe. Um, we shot that last, uh, I think, August. And uh, yeah, it's a total sort of Gasparno way style, super violent head trip. It's it's really fun. It's really aggressive. Um, it was filmed in 16 uh, millimeter know. as well. Yep. Shot it all in 16 millimeter. Super. Uh, looks beautiful. Um, looks beautiful. You know, it's it's really, you know, like obviously uh, for, for obvious reasons, I'm a fan of Joe's work. Um, but yeah. I think that <laughs> Bliss is really 
a huge step up, you know, just, it's, it's a really beautiful piece of filmmaking and, and, uh, you know, the, the lead role, um, Dora Madison as Desi is, is just, it's a, a total, like the definition of a tour de force. It's cool. uh, a really fantastic performance and I'm really excited for people to get to see it. Yeah. yeah I can't wait. This is it. very high on my, uh, Fright Fest wish list for this year. Yep, it's it's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Graham, this has been great as always. Where can people keep up with you? Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Graham Skipper, um, or you know, GrahamSkipper.com, which I need to update. I don't update the website <laughs> very often. Um, but uh, yeah, on Twitter at Graham Skipper is kind of the main spot for me. And yeah, um, yeah I'm really glad y'all had me back. It's always really fun to do these with you and and get to talk with you. And uh, this is always really fun. And thank you guys so much for having me on. And um i uh yeah this is always a blast to get to talk to you guys about this stuff yeah thank you thank you for coming back and doing this graham it's amazing yeah maybe see in august and try not to open any puzzle boxes i'll do my best i'm not gonna promise (laughs) (laughs) so always nice to hear from graham yes lovely to hear from graham and you know what I'm so glad that I watched Hellraiser Bloodline again. I'd forgotten just how good it is. It's been a long time. Yeah, really I, long time. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and a great pick for this format as well. Yeah, and I do hope people out there give it a chance and rewatch it because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, particularly given its context and its reputation within the franchise. Yeah, I think that I think that um, if you look back, you'll probably be pleasantly surprised. I certainly hope so. For, but isn't that the point of this whole thing, Mitch? Yes. Yeah. 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 Revisit it. Unearthing, it unearthing the gems and burying the tuds. Exactly. It's exactly. <laughs> it's exactly what we do. Oh, that's a, that's extremely quotable. I like it. But I guess we're done for another one. Yeah. All done. Uh. Yeah. As Graham departs, and we do too. Uh, we will be back on Monday. Graham won't. <laughs> Graham won't, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah, he's always welcome. But uh, yeah, we will be back on Monday with Minisode 56. Join us for that if you can. We have got all the usual stuff. We'll be taking a look at my progress or otherwise through the Shockwaves 100. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be playing Mitch's pitches. And we will, of course, be letting you know everything that you need to know for episode 57. Yeah, and we will be letting you know, of course, what's coming soon to streaming platforms such as Shudder, Netflix, Now TV, and Amazon Prime. Yeah, I better uh, better go do my homework on that one. (laughs) Yeah, you should, yeah. So if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, feel free. We love hearing from you, as always. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. Twitter, we're Strong Violent PC. And you can email us as well at stronglanguagevalentscenes at gmail.com. And you can check us out just about everywhere. Spotify, the soon-to-be-defunct iTunes, and of course our home at Podbean and numerous other podcast directories. Yeah, yeah, we're in there. most places. We're in most yeah. places. And the, crucially, guys, uh, wherever you're listening, please, please take a minute to like us or leave a wee review we've had a couple lately and they're really lovely please keep them coming we love them we need them yeah we've been reliably informed it makes a difference yeah and do you know what else we love you guys that listen we really do uh thank you so much again for listening to another episode of us waffling on yeah yeah listeners old and new thank you so much to all of you we really do appreciate it for what would be the point without you exactly exactly (laughs) so we'll be back monday join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.